Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Amen, amen. You can have a seat. How are we doing this morning? All right. At least one person's doing good. That's all right. That's good. Um, as, as we uh, uh, go into our third element of the whole armor of God that we've been looking at, um, I had this commercial um, this commercial in my head the whole time I was studying it, so I'm going to subject you to it. If you're at least as old as, as me, and you might remember the late 80s, kind of early 90s, we would always get excited when a new Nike commercial with Michael Jordan would come out. Um, I don't know why, like I was always, always a big Celtics fan, but Jordan was Jordan, right? And his commercials were always really good. And this one became kind of iconic. Um, and so if you're old like me, you'll remember it. If not, enjoy this beautiful black and white uh, thing that we grabbed off of YouTube. Let's watch. Yo, Mars Blackman here with my main man, Michael Jordan. Yo, Mike, what makes you the best player in the universe? Is it the vicious stunts? No, Mars. Is it the haircut? No, Mars. Is it the shoes? No, Mars. Is it the extra long shorts? No, Mars. Is the shoes it, right? Nah. Is it the short socks? No, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. What about the shoes? No, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. It's gotta be the shoes. Who remembers that commercial? All right, a few of you are willing to admit it. Right, and, and uh, Spike Lee, by the way, is uh, Mars Blackman, always kind of appeared in a lot of his commercials. But it was just in my head because we're actually talking about shoes, not Nikes or Air Jordans, right, but um, actual uh, what we might even call boots, as you'll see in a second. But are spiritual boots, spiritual shoes, what we call the readiness of the gospel of peace. So I want that rolling in your head so when you wake up, you're like, all right, it's got to be the shoes. I got to put on the shoes and, and be ready for what comes that day. Let's pray as we go into Ephesians again. Uh, God's word, Lord. Lord, your word is um, so truthful. Even now, today, so many centuries after Paul wrote this, it's alive, it's active. I'm so grateful. We're so grateful that we have your truth. Lord, grateful for um, this church family and the many people that serve you in so many ways. Lord, thank you for the Lord's Supper, for Darren leading us through that all weekend, and for those who provided food, for those who greet, for those who are downstairs with our kids or our babies, for our worship team, Lord, for our tech team. There's so many people that that give um, their time, talents, abilities, monies for your cause of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bring such great fruit even now with our time together fruit in the lives of your people, and Lord, in those who might be with us today that don't know Christ, that this would be the day where they do, that you would open their heart to salvation. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. So we, uh, for these six weeks, we've been been in Ephesians 6, so I will put it on the screen, but uh, if you have your Bibles, you want to open them, that's where we'll be again, Ephesians uh, chapter 6. And um, by the way, we have uh, Bibles in the pew you can always use. If you uh, don't own a Bible, maybe you have a friend or a neighbor or somebody that you would like to give a Bible to, always feel free to grab one of those. Uh, it's our gift. And we'll replace it. Um, we just want everyone to have God's Word. So whether it's you or someone you know, feel free to, to, to do that. 
Um, you know, if, if you've been with us, a couple of weeks ago we started this, and I, I went through uh, these beginning scriptures of this whole Armor of God passage thoroughly, so I'm not going to do that again, but context is so important, and, and so we want to make sure we know what Paul is getting at, why he's writing this. And so you know that it's kind of a concluding final section, uh, right with that word where he says, finally, right? And, and, and so he's going to start a new section where he's been. And when we said uh, a couple weeks ago, I said that, that if you were to characterize Ephesians, especially the second half of it, with a word that Paul used over and over again, it was walk, Right, and, it, and, and a metaphor for the Christian life. As we walk, right, as you grow older, as, as different things happen in your life, as you go to school, as you get a job, as you get married, you have kids, grandkids, all different things. How do you walk in Christ through all of those things, right? And we said that, that now in this new section that he stops using the word walk and he begins to use the word stand. And it's like, which is it? Walk or stand? And it's both, right? So, so as you're walking through life, there is a spiritual enemy, the devil, and the whole forces of evil organized under him that hate God, hate God's people, especially hate the gospel. And therefore, if you are walking in Christ, you can expect them to attack you. And so Paul's saying when that happens, as you're walking, you need to be able to stand ready. Because the worst thing is someone who's in the middle of a battlefield, you have no idea there's a war going on. It doesn't go well. And so he says, finally, right, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice what I'm stressing there, right? Not, not just talking weird. I want you to you feel it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I stress those things again so you know this is not the armor of Jamie or the armor of fill in your name or the army of the Christian or the army of the, it's the armor of God. In fact, at some point in this series, I'll show you, but Paul's most likely taking the images of the armor of God from the prophet Isaiah, where God, Yahweh himself, wears his armor and saves his people, right, as a warrior, that image. And so what, when you're in Christ, whether you, you've been a Christian for decades, or you're a pastor, or a worship leader, or you literally just came to Christ like during the Lord's Supper a few minutes ago, right, it, you, we all have equal access to the armor of God. And it's so important. You'll, you're not the armor. Of, it's not your armor. Like it's not your ability or your talents or your gifts or well, your wisdom. It's the armor of God. And that needs to be stressed because you have that available to you. And you need it for the fight that you're in. So he continues. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Because we have this fight, Paul says, therefore, take up the whole, not just one piece, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. And then two weeks ago, we had our first uh, piece of equipment, right? So stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. We said that was your under armor. It's kind of like the confidence you have. You would cinch up, make sure you had nothing in your way, right, to, to be able to fight this battle. And for that, for the Christian is truth. And then secondly, um, we, we had uh, last weekend, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And Pastor Bob did a great job teaching us what that is, the imputed or given by grace, the righteousness of Christ. And so I know we had a few inches of snow last weekend. Um, so if you missed that, you weren't able to join us online or in person, um, 
I highly recommend go back and get that. It's on our website or any, we have our podcast, you want to subscribe to that. I always have uh, old sermons on there, but I, I know a lot of may have missed it because of the, the, the blizzard. So you don't want to miss that chink, you know, that chain in the armor, the breastplate of righteousness. And so we get then to verse 15, what we want to stress today. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Right? It's got to be the shoes. Well, what are the shoes? Because Paul, remember, was uh, writing this to the church at Ephesus from prison. And so he had come into contact with a lot of Roman soldiers. And maybe they weren't always wearing the whole armor, but at, at points he's looking at the different elements of armor that they were wearing, and, and, and he's like any good pastor or teacher, he's like, that'll preach, right? Uh, that, you know, like when I see a rope with some green tape on it, right? That'll preach, right? That'll symbolize something for you. And so he was seeing this, he's like, armor, yes, right? And so the, the, he, the, the um, gospel, uh, the shoes of the gospel of peace, what he had in mind here is, and let me show you a picture of it, the caliga, it was called, are the, the shoes that the Roman soldier would wear. And you could see they're almost like a boot, that's why I said boots, because they came up and they would fasten about halfway up your ankle, right, sort of half boots. And in the winter you would stuff fur or you'd stuff wool to keep your feet warm. You notice at the bottom, maybe can't notice as much from the picture, but they would have several layers of thick leather, like because soldiers are going to be in really, really tough terrain. But I especially want you to notice, you can kind of notice if you look carefully, underneath were the, the studs, like nail studs, right? So when they got in that tough terrain or slippery terrain, they could dig in and it wouldn't slip. Now, of course, got thinking about that and reminded us that we have our own kind of version of that for our athletes. They're called cleats, right? And, and this happens to be a, a soccer cleat, but imagine maybe more of a football cleat, usually a little bit higher, and why do they, they wear them? For a couple of different reasons, very similar to the Roman soldier. First, imagine like an offensive lineman who their job is to protect the quarterback. They don't run very much, right? But they've got to dig in, and they're protecting the quarterback. They need those cleats to really dig into the turf or to the, to the ground because it might be wet or soft, or, and they don't want to slip because the quarterback will get killed, right? But then there's, you know, the, the positions like receiver or, or uh, quarterback or running back, and they have cleats as well because they have to march down the field. They can't slip. Right? So think about that except in war. The Roman uh, soldiers would, would have the caliga so that when the enemy came and they're battling, they could dig in. Right? They could really dig in and not slip. Also, though, it was for them when they went on a march. They would march long miles, tough terrain, obstacles. Right, So as they march into enemy territory, they can't slip. They have to keep going, and they have the caligas to make sure they can do that. So that's the imagery Paul has in mind when he tells us we have our own caligas, our own cleats, gospel shoes, right, of peace. And so scholars, I kind of give you that long analogy that I think Paul had in mind, because scholars are sort of split, and it's, you know, I'm not going to go into great detail of, of why, but it's based on the Greek language, which was originally written in the translation of exactly how Paul was applying this. Was he applying it sort of as that offensive lineman and, and, and dig in and be ready? Or was he applying it more as, as our people were to go into enemy territory bearing the gospel of peace, right, to, in enemy territory? And I think there's room for both. 
And that's why I want us to kind of look at both of those elements of depending on what's going on in your life, you need your own spiritual calicus. And so I want to start with that first one. Dig in with the gospel of peace. Um, and, and so when, when we see Paul say our calicus, the gospel of peace, we have to ask the question, what does he mean by peace? Because in English, we have a lot of different ways we use peace, right? Like, have you got little kids? I just need some peace and quiet, right? You've used it that way, and it's perfectly legit. Um, maybe you feel like I am at peace when I'm hiking in the mountains, or I'm at peace when I'm sitting on the beach, or what, right? And, and you can use it that way. Or maybe you just use absence of conflict. I finally have some peace in this home, right? And, and all are, are good, but they're not the definition that Paul's using here. And so if we want to know what our calicus are to dig in, we've got to know what Paul means by peace. And, and to do that, I think the best way to do that is how did he describe it in this exact same letter that he's writing to the Ephesians? You just have to go back to chapter 2. And he didn't have chapters, so f- those are for us. So just earlier in the letter, he actually goes into great detail um, what peace is. Now, we're going to look at this rather quickly you could preach several months on Ephesians chapter 2, right? So there's a lot here, and I want you to get kind of overwhelmed by that. I just want you to see, as we look at this, what is the definition of peace, as Paul uh, gives us for our, our shoes. And, and, and as we, we look at it, just to sum it up, it's, it, it's called reconciliation. It's a big word that means you once had something between you and someone else, Right? animosity, you've done something to them, maybe they've done something to you, there's a barrier, there's separation, right? When you're brought together, it's reconciliation. Some of you have experienced that, it's beautiful. When you were once an enemy of someone and you're reconciled, okay? Um, So, except Paul's going to say, this kind of peace is reconciliation, first vertically, between us and God. There was a major separation because of our sin, but, but we are reconciled to God, but it's also horizontal. That, that this reconciliation, this peace, is a reconciliation that knocks down barriers between people as well. Now watch how Paul puts it. He, he says, in, we're going to start in verse 12, Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, now he's talking here to Gentiles. Very important to know. Those are non-Jews. Who Jews, they didn't really get along at all, right? So he says, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, so you are outside of God's promise, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So he says, remember, Gentiles, you were outside of God's plan, God's promise, and, and, and you had no hope, as a matter of fact, right? However, there's verse 13. He says, but now, in Christ Jesus, You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Just like what we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that Jesus died in your place. He shed his blood to cover your sin forever. It's finished. So now you can be reconciled with God. We should never take that for granted. As if God somehow owes us salvation. He doesn't. It was a great sacrifice so that we who were enemies to God and separated from God can be reconciled. And he says even you Gentiles can be reconciled. To, to God. But here's why I wanted to bring it before us, because watch in verse 14. He says, for he himself, meaning Christ, is our peace. There it is, right? Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall 
of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So no longer is there Jew and Gentile. There's those who are in Christ, right? He keeps going. He says this. And he says, and might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Far off would be Gentiles. You, had, you didn't know. You, were, you looked at Jews. You were like, they believe in one God. They do these weird stuff. Like, they're crazy. And, and, and Jews looked at Gentiles like, you're outside of the promise of God. You're not in the family of Abraham, right? And you had this huge wall of hostility. Paul says, in Christ, you're all brought together, reconciled to God vertically, and reconciled to each other horizontally, right? And, 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 he, and he goes further with that. He says, for through him, meaning Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So Gentiles, you're along with Israel now, right? Because of Christ. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We sang that today. That's the name of our church. That's why, right? In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God, for God, by the Spirit. Boy, did Paul like words, right? And there's a lot there. But here's what I just want you to see about peace, right? When we look at the shoes of peace, it's what gives reconciliation both vertically to God and horizontally, right? So, so first, the question is, do you know this gospel peace? Are you reconciled to God? Have you trusted that Jesus Christ shed his blood and died in your place and conquered sin and death and evil? Because this is the shoes you got to put on and dig in. Because the enemy is going to attack that. Why would God love you? you? You know darn well what you did. Like, what, right? Like, why would God have, have done anything for you? Like, why, God reg- regrets saving you. That's going to be the constant attack. And if you're not digging in with your own gospel of peace, you're going to lose that peace and question that. And it's going to relegate you to the sidelines of the purpose God has for you. Right? That, that this, the blood that was shed for you means God loves you so much that he sacrificed all of that for you so that you can be brought together and have peace with God for all of eternity. Let me say that again. You will have peace with God in Christ for all of eternity. It will not be lost. It will not be thrown away. God will not change his mind because it was never you to begin with. It was always him. You will have peace for all of eternity. And if you don't put that on every day, the enemy will find cracks and footholds. Now, secondly, it removes hostilities. Now, we don't, between, vertically, between people. Now, we we don't have the the problem, I don't think, as much with Jews and Gentiles, at least where we live, right? And, And have this anger and animosity, but there sure are barriers between people. There's all kinds of tension that goes with people of different cultures or languages or skin colors, 
right? And I just am here to tell you that political constructs and philosophies will not be what takes down the barriers of race and, and, and culture and all those things that, that people want to divide us. It will always be going deeper into the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's always been the answer. It will always be the answer. It's why Roman slavery ended. It's why American slavery ended. The gospel. It wasn't any president. It was the gospel. It was Christians realizing this cannot stand. Do you know that, that uh, it's probably, if you don't know me, it's probably obvious that my, my origin is somewhere in the European uh, place, right? And, and in fact, it's Irish. I grew up Irish Catholic. And so do you know that if I were to, um, to meet someone who uh, grew up the exact same way as me, same kind of family, and looks like me, and we have similar ideas about things, but isn't a Christian, and then you take over here uh, someone who has English as second language, completely different skin color, that uh, their culture is very different from mine, their upbringing was very different than mine, that my bond with that brother or sister is far greater than the person who looks like me because of the gospel. Eternally that will be my brother or sister. And the more we dive deeper into that, these walls crumble and we are reconciled to one another, and it is far deeper and more permanent because it is won by the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? It is the church over the years that's gone to the poor. It is the church that's made orphanages. It's the church that's built hospitals. Right? It is the church that goes where no one else wants to go. That's always been what we do. Human rights didn't exist before the church. Some people want the, the practicalness of, if that's a word, uh, of Christianity without actually having the Christ of Christianity. And you can't, right? And so it, if, if we want to know, uh, you've probably had this experience where, where if you ever met another Christian who's very different from you, they, they look, they're a different color, or they're different, you know, culture, as I was saying. And at first, because you're human, you recognize that. And maybe it causes a little bit of confusion at first, even tension at first, because you're different. But have you ever noticed that a year later, a couple years later, that, that now your bond with that person, you don't even remember what color. You don't even see that anymore. Instead, what you see is your bond in Christ. Have you ever had that experience? It's beautiful. Because that's what the gospel does. It removes human, man-made walls of hostility. And the answer is always going deeper into the gospel of peace. And so when we look at that, to dig in with our caligas, right, like, like cleats when, when the enemy attacks, to dig in with the shoes of peace, the first is you've got to remember you're reconciled to God. Like, like yeah, raise your hand if you have an internal dialogue. You speak to yourself. Okay, all of you should be raising your hand, right, all the time. Right? And let me tell you this, and you know this is true. Nobody accuses you more than you do. Like how, how, many, how many of us sit around going, I'm great, I'm wonderful, I'm special. I did great today. Right? No. Instead, it's, I can't believe I screwed that up. Why am I so stupid? Why am I so ugly? Why am I so fat? Why am I so skinny? Why am I? We accuse ourselves more than anyone does, right? And the enemy uses that. You are a failure. You are stupid. You are ugly. You are worthless. You're right. right? And, and if, we don't, if we don't realize, man, I'm reconciled to God in heaven, right, because of the gospel, and we don't constantly put on those shoes, we're going to get knocked off our feet with the accusations in our own head. 
The second is the voices of others. Boy, do human beings like to tear each other down, huh? No? I think we're all very encouraging people. No. I think it was uh, um, Albert Einstein. You know him. He, was, he and I have a similar IQ, I think. We tested it out. And he was, he was in a classroom once, and he was, he was actually, did, did this experiment, and he just started writing times tables on the board. And he did 9 times 1 through 9 times 10. And he'd be like, 9 times 1 equals 9, et cetera, all the way down the line. And he got to 9 times 10, and he put equals 91. Now, if you're like me and you've got to look that up, that's wrong, okay? And so he wrote that, and his class, his, his class started going, oh, my gosh, you messed it up. That's not 91. It's 90, right? And they're all telling him where he's wrong. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just made my point. Just made my point. The first nine problems that I wrote on there, you guys were silent that I got them all right. You didn't say a thing. But as soon as I got one wrong, you're all up on me. That's how human beings work, right? So you got all these voices all the time. You messed up. Maybe some of you have a, a father who told you you were a failure, or a mother who told you you were a disgrace. Those are hard things to live with. And so the enemy will use those. You are a failure. You are a disgrace. Don't mean what God doesn't love you, right? That's why Paul says, man, there is an enemy attacking, and if he can knock you off your feet with those accusations, you then you're gonna be useless to God's plan for your life. And so you gotta put those on. You gotta get those cleats on, and you gotta be ready. No, 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 no. I'm in Christ. Get out of here. You have no place. The enemy has no place in my life. Because I'm one by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the gospel has reconciled me to God and to others. you got nothing to say about it. Every day. In fact, I would rec- recommend you put those gospel shoes on at night too. Because boy, do those voices come at night, don't they? No, no, no. Put those shoes on and say, no, no, no. I am Jesus Christ. I am bought by his blood. And I am his. I am his. The enemy will always try to do that. The second thing is, and the last thing, is to also, that some scholars believe they meant marching forward, the enemy terrain, right? The march of the gospel of peace. One of the reasons that um, scholars believe this is because uh, Paul uses some language found in the prophet Isaiah chapter 52, uh, and it's very similar. I'm just going to show you one verse from that, and if you remember how Paul wrote it in Ephesians, you'll see this is probably what he was thinking when he wrote it. The context of this in Isaiah is Israel all had pretty much been lost. They're in Babylon. They're in exile. And they were thinking, we finally blew it. God has turned his back uh, on us. God has finally rejected us. There is no God. Or if there is, he doesn't care. He's not on his throne. right? And so Isaiah would prophesy, no. No, you, you have been punished, but God is not on his throne, and he will save. Look at how he puts it, this one verse. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings gospel, or good news. That's what gospel means. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news, gospel of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, another word for Jerusalem or, or his people, right? Your God reigns. And if you read further, we won't. But if you do, the response of the people was to sing with joy. Why? God hasn't turned his back on us. God brings good news of peace. God brings salvation. God has not forgotten us. And our God reigns. 
no one else but our God. And so Paul, I think, uses that, that language when he's talking about the good news of the gospel is that it goes into, we, we, we dig in and, and we march, right? We march forward with the, 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 there it is, the gospel of peace, right? So, so what happens is, is we need the cleats because it's tough terrain. And you have to, you have to know the purpose for us is to, as a church and as Christians, is to bring this gospel of peace into the enemy territory and fight. Boy, nothing scares the enemy more than a Christian who's willing to fight. A church that's willing to go into enemy territory and preach this gospel of peace at any cost. The enemy, as Spurgeon said, will fall back and be confounded and confused. Confused because he can't imagine why God would love us. He can't imagine why God would save us. Why? He hates the gospel because it brings hope to the hopeless, right? It brings redemption to someone who can't be redeemed. It brings salvation to someone who's unsavable, and and he hates it. He tries to stop it. And so our job is to put on our calagas of gospel of peace and bring it into enemy territory. Oh, if we could just realize life is not just about the next show on Hulu or Apple Plus or whatever, Disney, right? Those are fine. Or our next home improvement project. Our purpose is to go into enemy territory with the gospel and see darkness pushed back, see evil fought, see injustice uh, be destroyed, see barriers crumble because of who Christ is. Right? Every time you step into the purpose God's given you, every time you do that, right, you, are, you are standing firm. You are walking into enemy. Every time you change a diaper down in the nursery so someone's parents can worship, every time you show up at youth group and help teens even though they don't seem like they're paying much attention, Every time you, you help buy a van for walking the light so they can serve single moms with the gospel, you are going into enemy territory. Every time you offer to pray for your neighbor, you share Christ with someone at work or at school, every time you do that, you are stepping in, and it's going to be hard terrain. That's why you need the peace of who you are and what God's plan is for your life. Those opportunities will Will, will constantly be presented to you. The question is, what do you do with them? I remember a few years ago, it was actually more than a few now, I was called to do a funeral. And um, they, they just called and they said, I don't know, we got your name, we just need a pastor to maybe say a few prayers. We're having this sort of informal gathering on the lake in Douglas. And it's a Sunday afternoon. And I'm like, oh, Sunday afternoon, that's not my peak best, right, as you can imagine. So I said, all right. So I put on my funeral suit, right? I was way overdressed once I got there and realized. Um, they had a canopy, and someone real recognized pretty right away that I was the pastor because I had the suit on, right? Oh, the pastor's here. Pastor, we got a couple of kegs out back, right? And I'm like, interesting funeral, right? A little out of place, but then I told you I grew up Irish Catholic, so it was a lot of like my family reunion, so I uh, kind of knew what was going on. But I was like, all right, this is weird. What are they, right? And then they put me, they were like, say a few words, and I'm standing next to this, one of those long plastic white tables like we got, right? And on them was full of wine bottles, right? And they're like, 
say a few words. Half of them were drunk. Half of them probably were trying to stay sober. And, and there I was, say a few words. And the first thing I said was, well, we could have a communion service because of all this wine. They didn't really seem to understand what I was talking about. So I just looked. I said, really, God, what am I going to do? Like, it's one thing for me to preach the gospel in church, right? So this is what we are. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. This is what we do. But you're there, you're trying to celebrate someone who had died that people cared about. A lot of them had never even heard the gospel, and there I am. And it's like, just do I step into it? Do I, do I put on my gospel shoes of peace and just share the gospel? And that's what I did. I don't know what kind of fruit it brought. I got out of there pretty quickly, to be honest. Like One of them was like, what do we owe you? I'm like, nothing. Let's, I just want to. But I got a chance to step into that opportunity. And so that, that's what you, you and I need to recognize. Whenever we have those opportunities, we're bringing the fight to the enemy. We're punching the devil right in the throat. Don't you want that to be what your life is? To recognize as we do that, this is our time. Right? And it's short. And it's not the time a lot of us might want to live in. But it's in God's sovereignty, our time. You might say, oh, if only Paul was back with us. No. It's not what God wanted. That wasn't, this is not Paul's time. It's not Spurgeon's time. It's not Billy Graham's time. It's not Calvin's time. It's your time. It's ours. And the question is, what do we do with it? It's short. And yeah, it's pandemic. And it's COVID. And it's all this other. It's our time. God put us here now for a reason. And one of them, right, is to, one of the key ones is to walk into enemy territory with the gospel shoes of peace and to declare our God reigns. Amen? Man. Let's pray. God, you do reign. You are mighty. I love the image of you walking on the, the mountaintops, bringing the good news of freedom. It reminds us of the cross, how that gave us, as we sang already, when death was arrested and our life began. Lord, I pray for you to move in the life and the hearts of anyone here who's never believed that the blood of Christ is enough, that today they would submit and believe the freedom of the good news of Jesus Christ and their journey might begin, that you would use this time together to save them. But Father, I also pray for the mighty attacks coming against your people in this room or joining us online, the mighty attacks that are coming right now, the accusations, the 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 doubts, the, the things in life that encircle us. Oh, Father, would you give us our own spiritual calicus, our cleats, our gospel shoes to dig in and say, no, not today, not any day, that Christ reigns. Give us the courage and the wisdom and the strength to do that. Father, I pray that as we, as we gather, as we sing, and as we leave here, we would know, always, always, always know, that you are on your throne, that you reign. We thank you, O oh God, for the peace that goes beyond all understanding in our lives. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing to the glory of God.